is looking at you. Hello and welcome to the Here's Looking at You podcast, a podcast where we explore the intersections of gender, sexuality and performance in film, television and theatre. My name's Dr Ellen Wright and I'm a lecturer in cinema and television history at De Montfort University in Leicester. Today's podcast is a conversation with Dr Claire Jenkins of the University of Leicester. We're going to be talking about a topic that's familiar to regular Here's Looking at You listeners, women working in Hollywood. Over the course of the conversation, we talk about getting into academia, being an academic and women supporting other women in academia. We talk about Claire's initial work around the representation of the American family and masculinity about Claire's $100 million women project on women directors in Hollywood and its relevance, around taste culture and snobbery towards women genres and popular cinema, and about how women tend to be overlooked, not only in the film industry, but in film academia as well. Claire's current research project, $100 million Women, Hollywood Women Directors, draws upon a range of archival research first-person interviews and the reception of films to consider the production and reception of films made by women and fleshes out the history of Hollywood to include women directors, whilst also asking questions about how cultural and gender hierarchies are reproduced through the structures that govern Hollywood filmmaking. I first encountered Claire's work last year as part of the Women in Hollywood event that I coordinated at De Montfort University at the height of the Me Too and Time's Up moment. Claire's paper was a really valuable addition to the discussion at that event, shining a light on women currently working in the industry, but who may be being overlooked. I was very much looking forward to catching up with Claire and hearing about this fascinating and timely project and how it's developed since then. Hello and welcome to Here's Looking at You. I'm here today to chat with Claire Jenkins. Hello Claire, Hello. thank you for making time to speak with me. Are you okay? Yes I am, very Excellent. well. Excellent. Well I wanted to talk to you about your work because we've obviously talked before and I find your work really interesting. So I'm wondering if maybe we could start off initially by talking a little bit about yourself as a researcher, you know, how you sort of came to be where you are now, you know, sort of anybody who's really sort of inspired you, that sort of thing. I kind of fell into, I guess, academia and research a little bit by accident because it wasn't it wasn't the big dream from the start. Um, my first degree is in media arts and so it's 50% oh, okay. practical. So I started that with the dream of being the next big director um, and I wasn't very good at filmmaking. <laughs> Very bad at filmmaking. I'm quite good at writing essays. Um, and the person who interviewed me for that um, degree actually said, oh, I think you'll be really good at the academics. I was like, yeah, whatever. And it turned out, you know, I wasn't excellent, but I really enjoyed it. Um, I never really thought about an academic career, um, but I came out of the degree not really knowing where to go. It's very hard to get into the media industries. And one day on a train, I just had the sort of epiphany. Of, actually, I really liked talking about the ideas I really liked um, presenting to the class you know I really liked writing the essays and researching maybe I could maybe I could do this maybe that's the thing maybe I could be a lecturer and then I said to my parents I think I'm going to do a PhD and their faces dropped oh um, because they funded me through like a BTEC in art and then my degree and not more to get a job um so anyway they're very happy now but um so I think that that's kind of yeah, I guess that was my route into PhD. Um, and then from there, my PhD um, actually explored representations of the American family in contemporary Hollywood. Damn. So it looked at the idea um, that Hollywood might have created its own version of what the American family is. 
Okay. Um, right. Or kind of, or help to perpetuate myths about the American family, perhaps, is, is, is better, uh, a better way to describe it. So that was kind of that, the focus of that. And I used to very much look at kind of text and gender studies, feminist approaches. Um, I actually was quite interested in masculinity when I first started. Okay. Um, so fatherhood was a way into that as well. I mm. explored on undergraduate and um, master's study. Um, and then, obviously, once that was kind of done and then published, it's on to the next things. Um, and, and I've always looked at kind of gender and um, gender and television or film. Um, but it, it wasn't until I think I saw a call from books on women directors that I started to think about women filmmakers. Um, and I popped something in for that, and that hasn't happened for various reasons. So my current work that I'm looking at now actually developed out of all, what can I do with the research that I've done for this? Where, mm. where can I take it that actually would work? Mm. Um, and then, yeah, kind of stumbled across, across what mm. I'm doing now. Um, in terms of kind of people that have inspired me, it's, it's a difficult one, really, because I guess everybody that you've come across as a student kind of has some input. But my... Um, my undergraduate dissertation supervisor became my PhD supervisor, and she was oh, amazing, okay. Stella Brutzi, who's now at UCL. Um, and she, you know, really inspired me. And it, yeah. I think it was really great to see kind of feminist scholars talking about popular culture, um, like popular films that we knew. That was always yeah. um, really, really exciting. And when I was an undergraduate, there was um, my, my uh, supervisor, somebody called Kelly Fury. Um, but she was just a PhD student, and she was just so enthusiastic. And it was so exciting to be taught by somebody kind of, new um young really kind of and like yeah involved in their research that was really exciting um and then since coming to Leicester um I've had the pleasure of working with Helen Wood um mm. who was part of our media and re- gender research group and is was at the t- when I met her head of um the media school and she's just a amazing. powerhouse yes <laughs> um anyone that's ever met Helen Wood or read her work uh, will know yeah that she is yeah wow yeah um, and has really championed this project and been really really supportive mm, mm. um so yeah really lucky to have kind of had some strong women i was going to say this is the thing that seems to be coming through loud and clear is that it's that idea of sort of a network of women supporting yeah. other women very interesting that you're saying that you were interested initially in being a director and then you turned to yeah. writing your back I know. <laughs> so um uh, you seem to have a really interesting range of research interests, and I know you because of your $100 million women project, uh, which we can maybe speak about in a minute, but you've just mentioned your monograph yeah. or the, the, the work that you started out doing, which eventually became a monograph. Yeah. I wonder if you can talk a little bit more around that book, if that's okay. Yeah, um, yeah so the book's called Home Movies, The American Family in Contemporary Hollywood. Um, it came out in 2015. It was the culmination of my PhD, and then it was updated, and mm. an extra chapter was added. Um, and it was a slog to get it out, but um, <laughs> very exciting, very proud of it now. Um, but yeah, so that, as I said before, that kind of looks um, at how Hollywood has represented the American family. So it, it, what I've always been really interested, actually, in kind of those family dynamics. And um, there was an article that I read, I guess, as an undergraduate that I still use for teaching now, which is not unproblematic. <laughs> um, but it's really useful by Peter Kramer called Would You Take Your Child to See This Film it talks, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It talks about kind of films as, um, as offering something a sort of therapy for families watching and I think mm. that really struck with me and resonated with me and, and then I started to think well what are the families on screen doing so yeah I started I guess I got quite interested in that and I also 
love Back to the Future and my undergraduate dissertation was on fathers and sons. Really? Back to the Future. Yeah. Right, okay, yeah. yeah. Trilogy. Yeah. So, uh, and kind of 80s patriarchy stuff. Yeah. So that kind yeah. of pushed me towards the family and then I started to develop well, what's happened since the 80s because there's a lot written about the 80s. But the book, um, it explores both the nuclear family mm. um, but, but by looking at the parental figures, so mothers yep. and... Um, Mothers in kind of it, Meryl Streep actually as the mother in various roles as the action mother as the working mother and as the oh, domestic okay, mother because yeah. um, she's embodied quite a lot of maternal roles. Mm. I look at fathers and daughters, which doesn't get an awful lot mm. of kind of coverage. Actually, fathers mm. and sons is seen as the dominant mm. sort of. Why do you think uh, that is? Um, I think there's a number of reasons why fathers and daughters aren't discussed. One is um, is that you know father and son narratives are so prevalent. Um, and if we think about kind of Freudian structures around the Oedipus complex, mm. a really common story. But also, um, at that point, there were narratives about fathers and daughters, but they tended to be a little bit incestuous. Um, yeah, okay. It was about the father's interest in the daughter's sexuality. Mm. So once, once we kind of fast forward to, um, well, there's sort of two things, both the sort of real interest in masculinity in those kind of post-war boom and then bust years yep. in America, but um, and that kind of refiguring and understanding of, what we do with masculinity mm-hmm. um but the other issue is of course once we get to the women's movement issues around kind of incest yeah. um become much more visible and these yeah. these stories become a little bit more uncomfortable yes <laughs> um, so actually there is a really big get there aren't many films about that mm. between the 50s and and um the late 80s but there is a bit of a resurgence in the 90s so um things like father of the bride oh, okay yeah, yeah. um mm. Uh, Lethal Weapon, that's quite, so I talk about that, there's some mm. father daughter stuff. Uh, but then things like Tomb Raider, um, okay, yeah, the, Lara, yeah. the, the original, yeah. original Tomb Raider, and um, something like uh, Contact as well, I don't know if you've seen it, yeah, 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 yeah. that's yeah. obsessively about the daughter's relationship mm. with the father. Um, so it does kind of re-emerge at that point, but I guess that, yeah, there, there aren't a lot of films, and it's, it's not been a dominant relationship, mm. it's one that's kind of underlying um, and is never in the mm. really big films. I don't think so. Mm. I guess it kind of hasn't had the same attention, and it is a it is a tricky one because well, <laughs> yeah. it's a minefield. Yes, of, of kind of yeah, yeah, indeed. Sexuality. So there's clearly that's an area that you're you're thinking about moving into possibly yeah. in the future. Okay, <laughs> I wonder if you can tell us a little bit then about your current big research project. Then this hundred million dollar women. Why have you given it that title? Um, what inspired you to research this field? What resources are you using? I mean, obviously, you've started to talk around this already, but, yeah. you know, what would you... Um, how would you describe it? So, it's called 100 Million Dollar Women um, because it is um, focused on women directors who have made over $100 million with a single film at the American domestic box office. Um, the reason I've picked that amount is that it's sort of seen as a mega hit. It is still seen as a benchmark. And actually, I have spoken to a couple of directors, and one of them, Anne Fletcher, who directed The Proposal, which made that, um, for Disney, she actually got a little trophy. No! <laughs> when she made 100 million, oh, she's amazing. So it is still, you know, that was only a few years ago, it's still mm. seen as, as a benchmark. Now, the reason that I picked that um, is, is, is kind of... Because we don't often pay attention to women's films that are in the mainstream. And that's, um, that's for a couple of reasons. One is because a lot of feminist scholarship, and this is no criticism of very, very important work, um, is focused on those politicised films those are, that are feminist. And I think that's really important. And I think it's really important to look at how aesthetics are used and how directors are telling women's stories and dealing with kind of issues that are pertinent to feminism around kind of desire, sexuality, um, 
you know, subjectivity. Mm. But unfortunately, it means that people making kind of films within a patriarchal um, industry, which Hollywood is, which we know it is, are not really getting seen. They don't really exist in feminist scholarship, but they also don't exist in the Hollywood histories, for, because, which are which are kind of okay. they are they're unapologetically about men. And I've been, I've been you know writing my first trying to write my first chapter of the book at the moment um, and researching, and they did they don't even acknowledge <laughs> that they have not talked about any women, um, and it's yeah it's it's horrifying really. So and I know that these women haven't made the most money, and there are men who probably aren't talked about that have made similar amounts yeah. but they are the highest grossing women right yeah they deserve they some deserve, level of yeah, attention exactly as they opposed do. to being ignored by two groups of exactly. people yeah. so, um, <laughs> so that is what my book is looking at so right it's going to look um, at the kind of production the careers the roots in and the, the reception more than the films although right inevitably I will talk about the films a bit mm-hmm. um, so it's going to be a book that is structured chronologically it looks from the 80s onwards and that's because the first woman to make 100 million dollars um, was Penny Marshall uh, with Big in 1988, so the Tom Hanks film, um, which I think we all know as a Tom Hanks vehicle rather than a Penny Marshall Absolutely, film. Absolutely, yeah. And Penny Marshall died at the end of last year. Indeed, and there yeah. was quite a lot of outpouring on Twitter, and you know, a lot of people mentioned that, oh, she's the first woman to do this, but actually it's not something that, that film scholars talk about, that students know about. That you know, is it, Yes, the people that kind of know Penny Marshall and her work well are aware of, of mm. how important she was. And she was considered a real key player in the 80s and 90s. Right. But she's not someone that's in the So canon. she's sort of heading yeah. into obscurity if yeah. we're not careful. Yeah. Right. And the reason that I stumbled upon this topic, um, as I said before, I was mm. thinking of writing a book that's actually going to be about Nancy Myers. And I should have said in Wonderful Women That Inspire Me, Deborah Jimin, who has, was, was ah, this scholar who wrote the book on Nancy right. Myers. Um, and I contacted her when I found out and she has been nothing but generous and wonderful oh, and is an yeah. absolutely amazing and supportive scholar and writes the best work on women. Um, yeah. She's so talented. Um, so shout out to Deborah. <laughs> So I, I had the kind of Nancy Myers stuff. I thought, well, actually, there's, there's something to be said about these yeah. women in the mainstream. And I was thinking around issues of gender and genre um, and how we kind of, you know, there's every awards season we see in popular newspapers about, oh, there's not enough representation of women. There's not, But these are the same newspapers that are reviewing films by women <laughs> and planning them. And I kind of feel like there's a massive tension, there, unless you're Catherine Bigelow, in which case you're okay, because you're making manly films. So it felt like there was a tension. And so that was really where I wanted to go. I was thinking, oh, I'll write an article, I'll look at kind of um, hierarchies, dynamics, those sorts of mm. things, cultural economies. Um, within Hollywood and women's filmmaking. Um, and I was really, really lucky that the, um, the University of Leicester's Cameo Research Institute funded me some money to research at the BFI in London right. and then at the Margaret Herrick Library in... Um, in Excellent! Oh, my happy place. <laughs> um, so while I was out there and I'm looking for these, this kind of, you know, I think oh, maybe in America there'll be a little bit more. Um, and there is there is no... Not no, but there is mm. so little academic work on these women. Yeah. I, it suddenly kind of, I had my moment and I was like, I, I have to write the resource to use to yeah. have the background. There is, there's nothing here. And that's kind of how it came about, really. Right. Um, so this is not really where I expected to go. No, no, but, but clearly vital work. I hope so. I yeah. hope so. And I hope that it will give me a springboard and other people a springboard to mm. start writing more about these women by saying, well, actually, now I know who they are what they've done, how they've done it, how they've negotiated this industry mm. that's kind of not very kind to women. 
Um, maybe not um, published scholarship, but sort of arguments that go on, particularly on sort of maybe on undergraduate programmes. There's maybe certain sets of assumptions are made whereby actually they don't necessarily have the means to back those assumptions up. So something like this can come in really, really handy as a resource yeah. for saying, oh, I had this sneaky suspicion that the, the industry works in this way and that's why so-and-so yeah. has done so-and-so. Well, this can then help to address that in all sorts of ways. Yeah, I think that's exactly it. And I kind of feel like my uh, my academic skill is is to write books that people should have written by now. That really <laughs> Right. Yeah. So, so it's a bit the same with my book on the family. It's like that was a really old. I mean, it's you know, it's in in small pieces. It's a well written about and well documented mm. kind of topic, but there wasn't a book on it. And it's a bit the same here. This is something we all know, mm. but we don't have that resource, yeah. and we don't have that kind of yeah, all all the information together yeah. and all the kind of history and all those kind of yeah experiences together. Mm. So we can't justify it. We know yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah, um, isn't, so I kind of feel like it, it might not set the world on fire, but it, it's going to be important. We've sort of talked around the importance um, of the project. I'm wondering if maybe if there is, and you've also mentioned a couple of other names as well, but I wonder if there's any particular work that you think this project speaks to or sort of expands upon in any way. Um, so Deborah Jimmins' work on Nancy Myers, mm, obviously. Yeah. Um, it's, a really, um, it's a really good book because Nancy Myers is... Um, she's considered to be kind of the most financially successful woman director because she's had so many yes big yeah. hits but she's not she didn't really there's nothing written about her um and deborah's book is, is great because it looks at the films but it also looks at this kind of context and the reviews and the, mm. and the reception um which is really kind of important so it does build i guess on that i mean it, i guess a little bit um shelly cobb's work adaptation okay. and authorship yeah. she i think particularly um in part to that she sort of starts to consider these mainstream women obviously she has a strong focus on authorship and the role mm. of the author both as director and, and the cinematic depiction of authors yeah um but generally the approaches you can see how yeah. they would map onto yeah, one another in useful ways made. Yeah. and there was um there was an edited collection um a few years ago which i was part of as well on amy heckling Okay, um, and that so that I mean again it looks more at the films but yeah. I, I think that there's something to build on there and there's a chapter um, at the end on Amy heckling in comedy and I can't remember who wrote it um, that actually is one of the few places where I've seen a lot of these women's names written right oh okay um, yeah but only in passing <laughs> um, so is there anything um, during the course of the research, research that you've done so far that you've discovered that's really surprised you or have you had any significant issues that you're sort of seeking to work around that sort of thing um, I wouldn't necessarily say surprised me I think it's what I knew I was going to be up against but mm. all but now two of the women that I'm writing about there are 16 of them um are still alive right um and there's not academic work there are there are a lot of of interviews with some of some of the more prominent filmmakers in kind of you know magazines press mm. and what have you but there's no archival material right um so you're kind of you're it's a little bit blind it's it's piecing it together bit by bit and really trying to work out you know, yeah, what, what's happened, what's going mm. on. Um, I'm hoping as well as, because I, I have interviewed a couple of directors and the hope is to interview more. I'd also be really interested in talking to like the Directors Guild of America who for years have been trying to do initiatives. And my understanding is that they started in at least 1990 doing kind of networking events for women directors. Right. But the problem is the influential people don't turn up. And right. you, a networking event isn't particularly useful if the influential people who are men aren't there. Yeah. Um, but I've been a bit round the houses with that. So Margaret Herrick said, I think the American film, AFI have got their files. The AFI said, no, 
go to the DGA. The DGA were like, look at our webpage. No, um, <laughs> I've seen your webpage. I want more. I want correspondence. Um, so that's, yeah, it's things like that. But it's all mm. quite recent. And that that is the problem, that yeah. the real meaty stuff isn't there. And also, although we're kind of in a post-Me Too era, there is a reluctance to tell the really awful stories. Mm, yeah, I've spoke, yeah. I spoke. I wouldn't name at this stage the, the directors I've spoken to, but one of them um, said that she was turned down for a film because the producer said they don't want a woman. But I don't no, know who they were. Okay. And I want to know what the film yeah. was, and I want to know. The, um, they were just so open about that. Yes, as well. I think. Well. Wow. If, if you know your women directors well, you'll know who that was. Um, <laughs> it's well documented, and she said it. But um, mm. yeah, that was mm. that was quite. Yeah. But you want to, yeah, you want to know more. You then yeah. want to know what was the film? Why, why did this have to be directed by a man? What's the sensibility that they thought women would, you know, bring mm. to it that they didn't want? So I think those other questions are really going to be really hard yeah. to answer, and and to make it more than just a kind of survey. Yeah, that's where I need to kind yeah. of where I need to get. But I think people people are becoming more and more open about. So fingers crossed, the longer I leave it. I mean, this sounds, seems to me like an a really, really sellable book. There's all sorts of ways that you could pull the audience, you know, the, the public, yeah. general public into this. And, you know, where are you wanting to go with this ultimately? Um, so at the moment, it's very much in the... It's a book. It's yeah. going to be published by Routledge, so yeah. it's under contract, and that's quite exciting. Um, the apps, I mean, if we, I would love to do public engagement. Um, I feel like I'm not quite at a stage at the moment where I have enough knew that we don't know to offer right. but in the next 12 months I hope that I will yeah. be I'd like to start small maybe some local kind of screenings and talks I mm. think my absolute dream if the BFI listen <laughs> um, would be a series of films on Hollywood's women directors oh gosh that'd BFI, be amazing yeah. um, with talks not all mm. by me um, but you know where we can actually celebrate the mm. work of these women and yeah. and on a really visible scale because mm. um, I think that's what needs to be done I think they need to be need to be talked about they need yeah, to yeah. That'd be so that's my absolute kind of that's where I would like to go with it mm. who knows mm, exciting yeah, yeah. Um, so how much longer have you got to run on the project oh, a long time <laughs> hopefully the book will be finished in 2021 but as I said I want to start next year really mm. thinking really pushing it as yeah. you know when I've got something a bit more under my belt I'm really getting into the kind of final, like the research and the writing mm. stage now so yeah next year I'd really like to push okay. it into into something more and, and the hope I guess is that it might be a book in 2021 but it'll be something that expands beyond that yeah in, it, in its scope exciting um so when I am doing research I constantly get sidetracked by stuff you know I'll find a thing and then that'll just send me off on a tangent and anything seems more attractive than doing the work I'm doing um, have you got an idea of where you want to go next once this research project finishes? I mean, you sort of hinted that maybe you want to return to something that you feel was unfinished business previously. I feel like inevitably at some point I have to go back to family stuff. Yeah. Um, and there's two there's two areas that I really feel are interesting um, and that I didn't talk about a lot in the book. So I think I said I looked at nuclear families, but then I also looked at alternative families. Yeah. Um, and so um, in terms of kind of maybe nuclear or more traditional families, the father-daughter relationship is something that I want to go back to, but particularly in teen films. So that, there's, there's a real tradition in the 80s and the 90s of, of single fathers and daughters. Um, right. Things like Pretty in Pink, um, Say Anything, um, 
10 things I hate about you or you know there's she's all that as well so yeah. and these fathers become these kind of sexual protectors of and, and they really steer the direction of their daughter's sexual development mm. I'm really interested in that but perhaps looking beyond film as well um this, <laughs> I've seen people on Facebook when um, when when like you know friends have I'm at the age where everyone's got babies now friends have like a baby girl and then one of the one of the mates of the dad will go I bet you'll never let her date oh my god she's a baby why are you thinking about yeah. why do we sexualize girls and, and that kind of protective... Why do we instill that father-daughter mm. relationship from the moment they're born? I mean, yeah. who cares when she dates? Just tell her to be safe and have fun. Yeah, yeah. Right? So... Um, She's not a prize to be fought over. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm really interested in how we've got this kind of... Both in the teen class, but also how this has developed into this kind of cultural norm of sexual protection. So that's something I'm interested in. I'm also interested in going back to um, something that I touched on very briefly in the book around kind of pregnancy and reproductive technologies and okay. non-traditional pregnancies. So um, I've kind of, um, I've presented but not really written much since about um, the kind of grotesqueness of the pregnant woman's body or okay. making it kind of butter jokes or something, you know, something mm. kind of grotesque. But I'm also quite interested in how reproductive technologies have been used um, and kind of the narratives around that and how they... Yeah, how they kind of manifest it. So there's quite there's a few films. Um, I, I love a good um, mom con. Um, <laughs> so things like the backup plan and um, the switch, where they're about women who become pregnant through non-traditional means, but mm. then they become obsessively about men and men's experience. Um, surprise, surprise. <laughs> um, and kind of men struggling to have it. Also, I think some really interesting things, and mm. obviously, you know families develop and evolve and I'm, I'm interested to go back and see what's happened since I've finished the last research what, what's Hollywood yeah, how are they gosh, coping yeah. with, with it so I mean I don't want to end up being just a one trick pony and kind of keep writing the same thing but I think <laughs> yeah nobody steal my fathers and daughters that one's <laughs> but yeah I've written about kind of wedding dresses as well mm. um, anything anything about <laughs> written about wedding dresses yeah so I have a small little um, article on the role the wedding dress plays in romantic comedies um oh my goodness i'd really like to read that that sounds fascinating it's my favorite thing i've written so far it's about the handed down dress um and what it might represent oh Um, my goodness that sounds nice um it's in a really cool journal called film fashion and consumption right i will hunt that out yeah um but yeah so um i i went into that again thinking that this is going to be a way of passing down maternity you know it's about inheritance maternity Mm. and a certain type of domestic femininity but actually in all the films i looked at which were 27 dresses bride wars i looked at sex and city although it's not handed down dress she wears a vintage dress spoilers but actually the the dress is destroyed in Mm. it it's not worn it's not important and it actually is about breaking free of other Mm. people's expectations so there's some quite interesting things so i quite like stuff around kind of costume but Mm. You know, yeah. may, I may come back to that, but then I might get the bug and just write about directors and Indeed. production. Yeah, and you, you never know, do you? A lot yeah. can happen in, in, in exactly. that time. Yeah. I never thought I'd be writing this book. Right, I've got one more question for you then, and that's essentially, um, is there anything that you wanted to, um, you know, sort of flag up that people, you know, if people were particularly interested in what you've been talking about, what would be a good thing for them to go away and seek out? You know, maybe have a, a you know, look on a website, and buy a copy of the book, or you know, oh give you a Google. You know, what? Well, oh gosh, I don't know. Now I'm sort of stumped. <laughs> uh, so, if you're interested in stuff on families, that's mm. good. The wedding dress stuff, I think, is quite fun. Yeah, quite interesting. It actually brings together the two bits I'm working on because mm. Twenty Seven Dresses was directed by a woman. 
Um, uh-huh. um, so you might want to look at my piece of film fashion consumption. Um, but the, if you're interested in this, um, watch films by women. That's what mm. I would say. Yeah. And actually, my, my kind of one thing is, look who's directing the films you're seeing in the multiplex. And go out your way to see women's films. That's yeah. what I would say. Yeah. Um, it's really interesting when I teach women in cinema to my students and ask them, if they actually what films I've watched recently by women directors and they just stopped and they don't even know. No. Um, yeah. And it's and it's not that they're yeah we just don't think about it so think about it I yeah. guess that's what yeah. I would say and then when you've thought about it read the book that I'm going to write. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks very much to Claire for making time to chat with me. I'm sure you can see how very timely and essential her work is. It's fascinating stuff that in many ways picks up on an acute awareness within certain portions of film studies at the moment of the marginalisation of women in film and media studies and how the reading and screening lists that we give our students are often dominated by male filmmakers and film scholars. People like Claire are really working to address this imbalance and I can't wait to see where her work goes. If you're interested in finding out more about Claire's work, then her book Home Movies, The American Family and Contemporary Hollywood is published by IB Taurus and is widely available. All that remains is for me to say thanks to John Ashbrook of Radio Pictures for his tech input, to Claire for agreeing to chat about such a fascinating topic, to the Shannon Riley Trio for allowing me use of their song Trouble as the Here's Looking At You theme tune, and to you for listening to the podcast. Feel free to offer your opinions or suggestions for potential interviewees on Twitter at Dr Smut or on the Here's Looking At You website, where you can sign yourself up to be updated when the latest podcast drops. In addition to the website, you can now also access the podcast via iTunes. I'll be back soon for another conversation about the intersection of gender, sexuality and performance in film, TV and theatre. So until then, here's looking at you.